This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. Well, we're talking with Jacob Young, a church planting pastor in Manchester, New Hampshire. So welcome, Jacob Young. Thank you. <laughs> From the great white north, not Canada, not Vermont. Not quite, no. New Hampshire. Yeah, we're in uh, God's country up here, <laughs> you know. So. so how long have you been there? We've been here five and a half years now. Yeah, as we're getting close to the end of October, there's always, about every other year, we mm-hmm. get a snowstorm so we're kind of oh. curious as to whether that's going to happen great i'm glad you brought that up thanks yeah <laughs> oh, it's going to happen it's inevitable but that's true yeah so five and a half years yeah. ago you embarked on a journey to the great white north of new hampshire but what was this whole what was your idea of this journey well we moved up here to plant a church here in manchester with king of grace down in haverhill so we took over a small group, and we intended that to become a church plant. It's taken about five years, but we're a full, I guess, a fully-fledged, card-carrying church now. I think when we moved here, we were just really, like, I enjoy New England culture. I enjoy the uh, frankness of my friends here <laughs> in the city. And I know that's off-putting to some people. I just prefer the directness of it. So, yeah, we, it's been a, a fantastic experience of being here, and our boys are New Hampshireites, and well, I don't know if that's what you're asking about, but I you know, we so. enjoy it. I mean, we yeah. try and talk about, you know, innovation and business and you know, business is about having an idea and producing a product that satisfies a need and really building the systems that deliver that product to the not necessarily the purchasers, but the consumers of that product. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, I think that a lot of what you're doing may qualify as both innovation and business. It's not perfectly business because it's a non-profit it's not you know built for profit and a lot of people might stumble over that but the point of it being that what every institution is doing is trying to perpetuate some values and some mission and so you decided to well let's just roll back a little bit so are, are you from new england no yeah my dad is military and so we grew up I grew up moving all over the place. So I'm like generally American. You know, I, I, I'm not from one place. Excuse me. My wife, she grew up in the South with her mom being a native to London. So she had a bit of a deep South and she grew up going to visit her grandparents in London growing up during the summers. She kind of grew up in two different cultures, I guess. Yeah, um, I would say so. That's, I mean, those are huge yeah. contrasts. Yeah. So, although apparently I've heard that the Southern accent is probably the truer to form of the 17th and 16th century English accent. So potentially they're a little bit closer together in terms of dialect than we might otherwise associate. Maybe, but I don't think if you found, if you were in the South and quoted that in a dark alley in the middle of the night, that would get you any points or vice versa if you were in London in a dark alley and said that. Sure. Yeah, I'm not sure I would get out alive. So that's why I say in the comfort of my office on a phone. Right. You know, um. Exactly. Yes, that's being broadcast all over the world. Um, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, so how did your path end up in New England, let alone New Hampshire? Yeah. So my wife and I, we met in high school and she being much more brilliant and smart than I am. I'm normal brilliant and normal smart. She's much more brilliant and much more smart. Went to Wake Forest University in North Carolina. 
And we got connected. We were dating through college, and we got connected with a family of churches that we wanted to be a part of. And so out of the gate, we just were like, you know what, we're done with kind of the Bible Belt culture in the Mm -hmm. South, and so we wanted to move up to the Northeast. And so we moved to Philly to be a part of a church in the Philadelphia area. And what, well, let me let me have you pause there for a second. So, you yeah. you made a pretty big statement. We were done with the Bible Belt culture. Sure. Yeah. I'm sure that every person, certainly in America, can can identify with that either positively if you live in the Bible Belt, or south right. of it, or negatively if you live north of it. You can at least leap to what that might mean. But and you went to Philadelphia, which is. Generally, it's in the north. I mean, it's definitely in the north. From from New Hampshire, it's in the south. But how do you contrast that? I mean, what what was the thing, the yeah. real real fabric of, or the, you know, the the real nugget of what was that you were moving away from for some reason? Sure, and I don't mean that in a necessarily a denigration dynamic. Yeah, in a contrast, I guess. So some of it is I grew up in a more, in terms of church culture, again, I realize it's a subset of American culture. I grew up in United Methodist Church, and so, you know, moderate to more progressive side of the spectrum. So I got my degree in philosophy, and the English literature stuff that I got my degree in was half Old English and half kind of postmodern theory, so kind of the two ends of the spectrum, I guess. I was very comfortable being around my non-Christian friends, not as some sort of like charity case, but like I genuinely enjoyed their friendship and company. They had honest and genuine questions and they were self-consciously who they were. You know, if they were an agnostic or they were whatever, they were self-consciously, this is who, I, this is my belief structure. I disagree with them, obviously, but they would have a, a self-awareness of who they were. My experience beyond my non-Christian friends within that university setting is that the Bible Belt generally is kind of pervaded by a very, generally, I'm a Christian, very surfacy dynamics to what that means, but there's not a self-awareness of one's belief structures or how they operate with engaging in the world. And I just, I, I think that there's a presumption in, this, in the Bible Belt culture that going to church is a good thing and that that makes you a better person. Those may be certainly morally true dynamics, but is at a cultural level, it tends to be a bit surfacy, and you could usually use other words that might be a little more pointed on that. But in terms of the North, certainly Philadelphia is on the southern end of the Northeast. It's technically outside the Mason-Dixon line. And so we appreciated that Christianity was not a presumed part of the culture, even in Philadelphia, which is maybe more religiously minded than New England, especially northern New England, and that if somebody was going to say they were a Christian or that they weren't a Christian, there was a little bit more self-awareness and cultural dynamics where it was not so like presumptive that, well, we're a Christian mm-hmm. community. So... That was, I think, some of the impetus for Michelle and I. I just get hives around, like, uh, <laughs> hives. The, yeah, hives around. Okay, go ahead. I want you to I want you to walk yeah, into this the, one. The, the, the presumption of the Bible Belt culture. Like, uh, my folks still live down in the Pensacola, Florida area. Mm-hmm. It's funny. We went and visited them. This is maybe a, a, an example of kind of the differences that we went to a coffee shop. Michelle and I were down visiting my folks in Pensacola. And it was on our anniversary, so we didn't have any kids with us. So we went to the coffee shop just to kind of sit and read and, you know, be adults without children hanging on us. And across 
the way from us in the coffee shop was this very large table of about 10 young women, you know, 20s, 22, obviously college students. And they were not only doing a Bible study, but just out loud praying for each other. Mm-hmm. And it struck me like, that is so strange. And here I am, like I'm a pastor. And, you know, I like the Bible and I want people to pray. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was, I had this experience of like, that would never happen in New Hampshire. Like mm-hmm. that just very, you know, not showy. They were being very respectful, but it was still a moment where I was like, I was like oh, I've, I've acclimatized in New Hampshire where spiritual dynamics are not as presumed to be a part of the culture. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to belabor this a little bit. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, I don't think it's inherently a bad thing, for sure. I would say that there is a presumption to the public space that it seems to me that evangelicals at times have a presumption to have their voice heard within the public sphere merely by the sake that they are evangelicals, Mm -hmm. rather than having merited it or gained it by the trust of the folks around them by the life lived among their neighbors and context. So I'm very overt with my, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor. I talk to people about Jesus all the time. So that could be said, well, am I presuming a place within the general culture? I hope not, but I guess the way in which it can be used to bolster a, a sense of rightness or superiority is maybe a, a loaded term would be the negative connotations mm-hmm. to that. So yeah, I mean, not inherently right or wrong, but the way in which it's oriented can certainly have a dynamic that could be right or wrong. So again, I want to now I want to redouble my effort here. What would your recommendation be if you could be so bold of how somebody from the Bible Belt or the Bible underwear shorts or where, you know, if we, if we go <laughs> we go souther um yes. socks, yes. the Bible socks um what would you recommend they do? I think this is a critical thing that's going on in America, let alone the world, is how do we actualize right. what we believe, regardless of where you you know where you fall on what spectrum. But how, what would you recommend? Yeah. Maybe this is a, a simple answer, but I think the way to combat... The, see, the, the dynamic, I guess, in play within the Bible Belt culture that I would say is maybe a negative dynamic is a presumption of a Christian culture that assumes everybody else is playing on the same field, that they're playing with the same terms, they understand what you're talking about. I wonder if it would be a helpful way of addressing some of that and correcting some of the Bible Belt culture if people were to ask the, self, the question of themselves, do I know who my literal neighbors are, and do they know that I care about them? Now, the way that would confront a Bible Belt culture is my neighbors tend to get redefined as whoever I like, which sometimes is folks at church, folks from work, and there is a certain sense of presumed categories. You know who the pastors are, you know certain religious terms, you know how to navigate the Bible, you know certain Bible stories that is just kind of common knowledge. Mm-hmm. Certainly there's nothing wrong, but for example, I we had somebody visit our church a few years ago and he was preaching for the church, and he made a reference. He said, we live in a Genesis 3 world, in a sermon. And to somebody from a Bible Belt culture, or maybe from a more insulated Christian context, I understand what that phrase means, but I know that my neighbors who have never, not only have they never been to church, their parents never went to church, 
mm-hmm. they would have absolutely no idea what the phrase Genesis 3 is. They don't even know what the book of Genesis is, let alone, is this 3.0? Is this, <laughs> a, you know, wait, is this the third book of Genesis? I guess there are three Genesis books. Right. What does that three mean? And so there's a presumption about that statement. It is, again, I'm kind of drilling down on a specific to kind of make the case. And I, I'd say it's probably generally true of American evangelicalism in general, not so Bible Belt culture. When Jesus says to us, love your neighbor as yourself, I think the controlling factoring that is, does my neighbor know that I know them and care about them and love them on their terms? Not necessarily that I agree with them, but on terms that they would understand. And so right. if I'm using cultural verbiage or language or assumptions or associations that they have absolutely no. If I told my neighbors right now, like, oh, there's a big controversy around, you know, this Trinitarian issue going on within the church right now, and I'm really reading a lot about it, that would just be absolute gibberish to them, you know? Right. It's technical. Yeah. You know, it's certainly myopic. Yeah. So I think that the correction or maybe the question for the Bible Belt context is less, how do you stop being Southern? And I, I don't want you to stop being Southern. I love Southern hospitality. It gets a little, I wonder if I am, uh, I don't know if, if somebody's being nice to me for whatever, what, what are the motivations for why somebody's being nice? That's maybe my New England cynicism coming out at mm-hmm. this point. What do you want? Yeah. Is the association that you're making with somebody presuming that Christianity is in power and everybody must uh, adhere to it? Or is there a sense in which I want to just simply understand who somebody is? Well, I think I think you bring up a great point. I think one that could really benefit both the Republican and Democratic parties right now is there seems well, to be this incredible factionalism going on. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's really the right word, but it seems like neither side is doing anything to win the other side's heart. Yeah, and I, I think even for business context, like I think that it just happens when you're in a an intensive reinforcing context that you are not inclined to think very clearly about the world that somebody else you're engaging with lives in. So my brother is a mechanic in the Coast Guard, and he will use all of these phrases and words. I have no, I, I have no idea what any of them mean, and I can't even repeat what any of them are because I don't know what they just did not register to me. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way at times when I'm engaging. You know, I did work with you, and I've done work with others as well, where I. You use the phrase SEO, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, I know, I know what that means, but none of my, you know, nobody else under, that I'm engaging with, even the client that I'm engaging with, may not understand what that phrase means. Right. And or they may is, they may it, think they know. That might be even worse. Yeah, yeah, they may think they know, and no, SEO is not. I can't, I'm trying to think of the horrible examples I've yeah. had of that, but you know, so I I'm not sure that's necessarily a unique. Bible Belt culture dynamic, but I think that it's a human condition factor that we tend to drill down and whatever culture reinforces our values, we tend to double down on that, whether that's Republican or Democrat, Christian or not. Right. Well, we've been talking with Jacob Young, a church planting pastor in Manchester, New Hampshire. We'll have links to his website and some of his blogs. I think it'd be good for people who are listening who might be interested to follow him and see what he has to say as he's sort of on one of the cutting edges of our society right now. Yeah, exciting times. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, Paul. Thanks for your time. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. 
Save Your Lives exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Save Your Labs at SaveYourLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.